Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson episode. Oh, I don't, uh, I don't even, I don't say episode numbers anymore, partially because I never write them down, and I don't know what episode number this is. I guess that's a good sign. It means we've been doing this long enough that uh, who can keep track anymore in today's workaday world? So, okay, a couple of things, a few announcements before I bring in uh, my co-host and talk about um, uh, today's topic. So, uh, first off, September. 24th. Um, and I forgot to actually write this down. So I, I will definitely, once I have specific times nailed down, um, I will put this out there in a more official way. But September 24th will be the third Alpha Omega Con, and I will be there with my usual table. But then I will also be hosting two panels, uh, the names of which I haven't figured out yet. But the first one is going to be about Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, and the second will be about horror. And so I'm very excited to be talking about those. And uh, so if you're in the California, the Southern California area, uh, error, oh, uh-oh, that's a problem. Um, if you're in the Southern California area, please swing by Alpha Omega Con and check it out because first off, it's very inexpensive to go, but it is increasingly more fun. Like once they, like they're really coming into their own as far as what these can, this convention is supposed to be and what they want it to be. And it's uh, just a, the, the last two years have been tremendous fun. And I think uh, this coming year will be as well. So, okay. As far as things that you can find on the website right now, there is a review by Bob Connolly of the new film Hell or High Water, which I have seen and it is great. So check out his review. And if the movie is playing in your area, go see it. Second, I was on a, um, a wonderfully named podcast called Geek Orthodox. Get it? Because it's like Greek, but these are geeks, and uh, but they're Christian as well. And they're Canadian. So, you know, if you are, I didn't know, I didn't know that before I went on. Had I known, I probably wouldn't have gone on because I, I have no use for those people. But, um, but I was there. We recorded for about three hours. It was a lot of fun. Warning, lots of politics. And it didn't come from them. Uh, they, they asked me about... <laughs> They asked me about what it's like to be Christian in America right now, and I guess I had an answer. Um, so I'll say this, and and uh, I apologize um, if you are a if you are a fan of Donald Trump, this might not be the thing for you because I I don't have a, hu- a very high opinion of him. But we do go into depth talking about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which was a lot of fun. So you can find that at Geek, uh, at Geek Orthodox. It's a, It was just a, f- a fun episode all around. Uh, and then lastly, only, I believe, less than a week, less than a week before the airing of our first spinoff podcast, uh, The Fear of God, hosted by Reed and Nathan. And speaking of... that show and those people one of them is here right now it's my co-host reed lackey reed how you doing hi tyler i'm doing very well are you excited i am very excited are you nervous pretty nervous you should be i've listened to these episodes they are unlistenable i know i know and i and you know but hey we all have to start somewhere it's true it's true i'm just you know trying to be a light trying to be a i'm kidding that's not i didn't care for that that that's not i didn't as soon as it was in my mouth i was like no no not quite but uh no seriously we're very excited about the show we hope that uh that people like the kind of conversations that we have Mm -hmm. um and uh we we're very excited to hear people's responses to the episodes and just our our general mentalities uh, we try as often as we can the the movies that we cover 
try to talk about things that not quite everybody is talking about. Right. So like if something, you know, uh, I'll just say this briefly because hopefully people will hear the show. An early episode for us is The Conjuring, which mm-hmm. has been talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, we decided since there's a lot of conversations about it and we even did a full episode on more than one lesson. So we talked about an element that doesn't get spoken about very mm-hmm. much uh, with The Conjuring. So uh, we tried- What's that? What element? <laughs> or is it a surprise? It'll be a surprise. It'll be a surprise. All right. Um, so we hit on some of the major beats that, that usually come in when- that film gets discussed, but, um, but we hope people will like in general, what we, what we have to say. And we're having a lot of fun. We hope other people have a lot of fun listening to the show too. So, but yeah, that's the, this episode, um, uh, less than it'll be like five days after this episode goes yeah. up. will be the first episode. I, I will, uh, I'll be posting it everywhere. <laughs> and uh, I should say that the first episode is not about a specific film. We talk about a number of different things, but right. it's just a general discussion. And then we start our normal fo- format on episode two. Very exciting. Uh, between the fear of God and then Halloween times coming up, you're going to get your fill of horror, everybody. Um, and it's going to be, you know, and you know what? It's doing Hall- uh, Halloween times for the last several years has really helped me to appreciate the horror genre. I already did a little bit, but now, now that I'm on the lookout for things to talk about for Halloween times, um, that change that it doesn't necessarily change the way I look at horror. It just means that I, I, I look deeper at the horror. Like I was always going to see the shallows. Oh, right. Um, right. But knowing that any horror movie I see could contain something that I want to talk about for the show, um, rather than simply sit back and just like purely have fun, which I can still do. Um, I am able to see other things in it more so than maybe, any other specific genre like horror can has the potential to just be packed with mm-hmm. meaning um, and symbolism and all these other things. So yeah, very exciting. Uh, along those lines, I will say that uh, over a battleship pretension um, on set, we're recording this September 3rd. We are going to be doing a series of commentaries about uh, the original night of the living dead, the 1978 dawn of the dead the 1985 Day of the Dead, and then the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. So we'll be doing that at BattleshipRetention.com, and it will be made available for sale uh, on probably September 4th or 5th. So something to be on the lookout for there. All right. Now, how even to begin this episode? It's tough. Because here's the thing. Uh, You know, uh, I guess at this point it's been a couple months since we talked about VidAngel. Yeah. And then we do talk about uh, Christian film on a pretty regular basis. We don't often talk about specific websites, specific critics um, who uh, approach film from a Christian standpoint, often because I, I tend to be frustrated by them. And I don't want this show to turn self-aggrandizing or... Uh, self-congratulatory or anything like that. Um, I'm, I'm happy with the outlook that we have on film. That doesn't mean that we uh, get everything right, obviously. Um, but there are other websites who I, I think tend to be a little bit, other Christian websites that I think tend to be a little bit reductive of film. And, um, you know, I, I would be lying if I said that I agreed with them. In fact, it is sites like that that started this one. 
um, you know, because I wanted to be something different. And uh, one of those websites, though, from time to time, I will read a review. I will read an article that is interesting. And they have always on Twitter uh, been very nice to me and uh, to this show, uh, retweeting things from time to time, which is nice. Um, but the website that I'm talking about is called Movie Guide. Um, listeners might be familiar with it already. It has been running for quite a while. Um, there's a website, I believe there's also a print magazine of it. And they, yeah, and they've been around since the 80s, um, you know, commenting on the output of Hollywood and, and that, and reviewing movies and that sort of thing. Uh, there, there are the Movie Guide Awards, um, the basis of which I don't completely remember. I think it's, it's theoretically about quality uh, in film, but honestly, I think it is also about, you know, which films are the most wholesome and stuff like that. So um, I actually only came to Movie Guide relatively recently. Um, I said it was websites like Movie Guide that kind of inspired me to start more than one lesson. That's what I mean. It is not Movie Guide specifically. Uh, I only came to Movie Guide in the last two years. Uh, mostly because I became Facebook through this, through this show, I became Facebook friends with other people who are, who are very interested in movie guide. Uh, if you're part of some of the uh, Facebook groups that I'm, that I'm on and I believe read that you are on, yeah. you'll see frequent posts about movie guide yes. and how frustrating it can be. And indeed it can be. Um, for example, I don't remember where I, uh, where I, uh, stumbled upon this article. It's about a month old at this point. Um, mm. It's not new by any stretch. Um, but it just the, the headline struck me. And so I thought I'd give it a read. And I was, I was frustrated by it, but not frustrated enough to, to do an episode. Where I think this episode comes from is the seeing an opportunity here to talk about what this article is is criticizing and then kind of speak extemporaneously about that rather than simply go back to the article over and over again, which we might hear and there, but we want to talk about larger things as well. So the uh, the headline for the, the article on Movie Guide, and I will link to it in the show notes, um, new study gets plot structure completely wrong. Now, the reason that I pause there is because study is in quotes. So if you'll pardon me, I'm going to try and avoid this tone of voice. But when you see quotes around a word like study, I feel like you can't help but read it like this. New study gets plot structure completely wrong. It seems it just you could just say new study. But by put, but even the even the quotes around it tell you what you're going to get and you're going to get. Movie Guide has a problem with what this with what this study has to say about plot structure. And I will say this in reading the article and even in the fact that they thought this was an article that needed to be written. I was vaguely encouraged. You don't often hear um, you don't often hear discussions of structure in, on sites like this. You right. hear about content. You will sometimes hear about character um, but you don't hear much about the nature of story and what stories are the most effective and stuff like that. So I'm happy the conversation is being had because it is an important, uh, discussion. Um, 
But, uh, but yeah, a lot of the stuff in this article is very frustrating. And I will say that our friend Reed, when I told him uh, about this as a possible episode, he took the liberty of, of looking up the study itself. We will link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, but anyway, now I, I believe you just, uh, you just read both of these articles. You just, uh, I just threw this at you guys, like, I think two days ago. Yeah. Right. Um, so you read through it. So it's still fresh, still fresh for you. It is. uh, (laughs) Unfortunately. Um, I will say that, that, uh, so it was, it was earlier today, earlier as of, you know, us recording this, Mm -hmm. that I, I read the movie guide article first, and then I read the article from the university of Vermont, um, and then went back and read the movie, movie guide article again. Um, I wanted to know what they were, what their thesis was, and then go back to what it was that they were combating, and yeah. then wanted to come back and 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 see how much of it how much of it held up. Um, we we haven't talked a lot yet about um, the particular uh, elements of the movie guide article uh, that they say this University of Vermont study got wrong, right? Um, but uh, one of the f- First things that struck me, um, so I hope it's okay to go ahead and lead with this, sure. that the Movie Guide article is talking very exclusively about uh, film and mm-hmm. about screenplays, um, how to survive in Hollywood yeah. without losing your soul um, is the name of the the book that Movie Guide is, is promoting. And they, they're talking about screenplays specifically. It felt to me like a pretty glaring omission on Movie Guide's part, that the University of Vermont study was in no way talking about film. Right. The University of Vermont study was referencing um, actually exclusively literature, um, texts that were specifically in the public domain. There's a website. Um, if if any of you listeners are readers and you don't already know about Project Gutenberg, it's a phenomenal website. I love it. Um, their mission is very simple. They want to make every text that is in the public domain available on the internet for you to, to freely find um, in its entirety. Um, so their entire mission as a website is mm-hmm. just to um, post the texts of public domain items, uh, works of fiction, works of nonfiction, history, um, philosophy, all of these different things. And so what this University of Vermont study did, which by the way, I know you're going to be linking to it in the in the show notes, but the, um, the study is called data mining reveals the six basic emotional arcs of storytelling. And what they did was they basically took the 150 most popular downloads at project Gutenberg. These are all works of fiction. Mm -hmm. They took the 150 most popular works of fiction downloaded from project Gutenberg and analyzed those texts to find out what kind of emotional beats you might experience as a reader yeah. if you were reading those books. Of course, um, I'm a huge Charles Dickens fan, so Great Expectations, A Tale of Two Cities, A Christmas Carol were all part of this study, um, as well as other recognizable works, Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice, the works of Aristotle, Greek tragedies, all of these kind of things were elements here in this University of Vermont study. And then what they did was they charted what kind of what they call emotional arcs Mm. are present in these stories and an emotional arc as the university of vermont 
was expressing it is basically a rhythm, a narrative rhythm that would create either what you would deem a positive or a negative response in the reader. You would either feel sad or um, scared or unhappy, or you would feel elated, triumphant, anything like that. Right. And then um, they categorized those you know, emotional responses in rises and falls and determined which you know, basically which emotional arcs are present in these other stories. So that's, that's a lot of information, like, you know, probably a little bit too data heady, but, um, but basically that was what this university of Vermont study was doing. And what they concluded was they said, it's interesting to note that some of the more popular, um, works that have been downloaded from project Gutenberg are actually works that end on a, what they call a fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, works that end uh, on something we would deem as a negative, either mm-hmm. a tragedy or something rather sorrowful happens at the conclusion of this work, and yet this work is one of the most popular yeah. um, downloaded. And so the University of Vermont study is simply indicating that this piece of information was interesting to them. Yeah, They simply were laying it out there. They said, hey, the data – seems to indicate that these are the they broke down what the six structures are I won't go into them right now we can later if you want to but um, I'm intrigued I'm, I'm trying to think what what order we should go in I think I wouldn't mind digging into the Vermont study a little bit right now so that we can look at those six emo- emotional arcs okay. very briefly so that when we do reference the movie guide article um, listeners will have some idea of what we're talking about okay um, um, but yeah uh, in fact, let's get into that now, and then we'll 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 move on. Okay. The very briefly, the the six arcs that they identified as basic mm-hmm. templates. Uh, the first one is what they called a steady rise of emotional mm-hmm. valence. This is just basically means for our character, they begin or for the protagonist or whatever in the story, it begins in a low place, and throughout the course of the story, steadily gets better for them. What we would call a rags to riches story. Right. They come from low places into a high place. That's the first one. The second one is a steady fall in emotional valence. This is a tragedy. Things start off very well for these characters, and then through a series of decisions and um, narrative beats, things progressively get worse for them. The example that the University of Vermont gives as a conclusion for this is Romeo and Juliet. Sure. So Romeo and Juliet is a steady fall. At the very beginning, uh, yeah, there's tensions, but everything's kind of all right, and then it ends horribly. Um, then the third one is a fall and then a rise. So that's basically a man falls into a hole, then gets out of the hole. Right. So it's just, uh, there's a, an occurrence and then a resolution to that occurrence. So that's the third one. The fourth one is a rise and then a fall. The example they give there is the myth of Icarus, which right. just very briefly for listeners who may not know is the one who, uh, wanted to make wings so he could fly, wound up flying too close to the sun and his wings melted and he, he fell. No. Um, so that's just the, a rise and accomplishment and then a fall. It's not at all how space works. No. Or gravity. But whatever, it's fine. <laughs> I guess these guys know what they're talking about. So then the uh, the fifth one is what they call a rise, fall, rise. So good circumstances turn bad, but then ultimately end well. The example mm-hmm. they give is Cinderella. So right. good state, then circumstances change, falls into a bad state or you know an unhappy state, and then through a se- series of narrative beats uh, again comes to a happy state. Uh, and the sixth one is the exact opposite of that, a fall, rise, fall. Characters in a low place, they reach a high place, but through their own choices, then come back to a low place. Yeah. All right. 
So here's what fascinates me already. Putting aside the fact that this was a study about literature, which admittedly is putting aside a large fact, Mm -hmm. but let's, I'll put that aside for the time being. What gets me about movie guides reaction to this study is that it takes what clearly started as, Hey, this sounds interesting. Let's try this. And then a lot of work. Right. And then basic observation. And they, they seem to approach that study as though the University of Vermont were, were prescribing something mm. instead of merely, I guess, if it, let, let's keep that analogy going, rather than diagnosing something and mm. saying, it, although I guess that even says what's wrong, but just saying, like, here's how it looks. Here's what it is. You know, these are, the, these are like the works that are, that are popular that everybody knows, and it would appear that these are the most popular or the most effective story arcs within these, uh, uh, sorry, emotional arcs within these books, um, or plays. And movie guide seems to look at that and think like they're saying, this is how it should be. This is what works. And thus, this is what you should do. Hmm. Um, and it just, it is astonishing to me, um, how they could. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to be courteous and I will assume that they did not purposefully misinterpret this or that they did not just willfully say like, okay, we'll put aside the book thing and we'll use this as just another way to show non-Christian artists and uh, analysts as being out of touch. I, I will assume that this, that they had the best of intentions going in and maybe did not see much difference, especially since we're dealing with uh, dramatic works as well, like the works of Shakespeare, right. um, that they didn't see much difference between uh, literature and screenwriting and that they, and that it just did not line up with what they themselves thought. And so they got mad at the study. So I'm trying to be gracious, but at the same time, you know, this is, Listeners, this is a thing that Reed and I were talking about before we started recording, and it's something Josh and I talk about before every Christian movie we talk about on the show. Um, we went into a fair amount of detail before we started recording about VidAngel. Um, it's very easy to approach this type of thing and feel very superior and very self-congratulatory and all of that sort of thing. Um, and so we're going to try not to do that. Uh, right. we don't, you know, these are fellow Christians. Um, and so we don't want to bury them. We don't want to be overly critical of them because Lord knows the rest of the world is more than happy to do that. And so they don't need us to do it. But what I will say is, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that I think that movie guides response to this study is wrong. Now I, there's a difference between wrong and wrong headed. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and I will say, and I will not say that they are wrong headed, hmm. but I think they are wrong. Um, because they take what is a very nuanced study and it explores, you know, it's like, okay, within, within this work of literature, you know, there's a rise and a fall and a rise and a fall. And then there's this and this. And, even just in how movie guide describes it, they're overly simplif- uh, simplistic and they seem to be f- focused very much on just how the movie ends. 
not necessarily. And it's like, well, okay. Admittedly, I've always been a big proponent of the idea that a movie is about how it ends. Mm -hmm. This is what the movie wants you to be thinking about as you're, as you're leaving the theater. So an ending is important, but at the same time, the journey is also very important. And that is what can sometimes make a movie or a work of literature be so notably different than things within that same genre or whatever. Um, so, uh, as we were going through this article, I, uh, I copied and pasted some of the more notable, uh, paragraphs, but I figure you, you, the listener probably don't want me to just go through and, and just read all of this. So instead, uh, Reed being super awesome and going above and beyond the call of duty as he always does. Um, except that vid angel episode again, back to the future. You should not be showing that to your child. Um, <laughs> that's, I showed him the King Kong fight just recently. I know. And it's, and, <laughs> and I think I saw a photo on, on Facebook of him acting like King Kong. Yes. He oh. uh, wanted to pose as King Kong, right? He has since uh, pretended to Skype as King Kong with his Mr. Potato Head family. It's delightful in our home. It's, it's with really... his what? So he builds these Mr. Potato Heads and then lines them up and then pretends to Skype with them, him as King Kong, them as Why can't the he just talk to them? Well, because... Oh, I should say that my family is on the other side of the country. Got it. So he has a frequent context of us almost on a weekly or okay. biweekly basis, Skyping with members of the family. So uh, so he that's just part of his context of long-distance communication is Skype. Man, so, that's weird. So he said, I know, I know. It's a little strange. Uh, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying like you're doing anything wrong, but I just, I came to realize that like, yeah, I guess kids growing up in this age, when it comes time to talk to like, faraway family members, I guess this is what it looks yeah. like. You don't think about a phone. Yeah. It's FaceTime or Skype. Yeah. And uh, so that is, so yeah, it's, so he sets up his Mr. Potato Head family and he uh, Skypes with them as King Kong. It was really, it was really funny today because at one point he noted that Skype was not working <laughs> because frequently when we try to connect with my family, we will complain that it's not quite, uh, not quite working. So he included that in his playtime. Yeah. Um, I could go on for hours about this. So I'll stop. <laughs> I don't think I've never met your son. No, you've met my wife, but not my son yet. Yeah. 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 He sounds like a delight. He's pretty awesome. He's pretty amazing. Incorporating technical issues into <laughs> your, into your playtime. That takes a special kind of kid and one that is, I'm going to go ahead and say not well adjusted. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, how did we get on that? Oh, right. I was making a joke that wasn't even apropos of anything, but nonetheless, it was a fun story. Um, Okay, so Reed took the liberty of summarizing paragraph by paragraph what what the article says, and I think that's actually going to be very helpful so that you, the listener, have some idea. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm linking to this in the show notes so you can go and, and read it for yourself. Um, but for the sake of this discussion, we do want you guys to have some idea of what we're going to be talking about. So Reed... Now, do we want to do we want to go through the whole thing or do we want to go bit by bit? Let's go through the whole thing. Yeah, because it'll take maybe a minute and a half to read this little. All right. uh, Just these little summaries. Um, Read. Take us away. Paragraph by paragraph. But here's the summation. Um, So the the movie guide article beats uh, say, first of all, it's untrue that according to this University of Vermont study that there are six basic plots or emotional arcs. Um, They say that claiming that plot and character arc are the same is confusing the distinctions in those two terms. And Dr. Ted Baer, the founder and publisher of Movie Guide, is expertly qualified to dispute those claims. 
they say it's ludicrous that fall rise fall, which was the sixth University of Vermont uh, example and mm-hmm. one that they noted was one of the most popular and that so that fall rise fall and rise fall are two of the most popular emotional arcs is ludicrous because audiences want to see the hero win they want to see good prevail and they want to see justice triumph successful Hollywood scripts focus on a single plot that has of course subplots and character arcs but it doesn't have emotional arcs script writers uh, may vary in their structural beats but they all basically follow that same structural path. Uh, That path is this. Act one, the protagonist is in their world. They're troubled, but they're presented with a call to a quest. Then in act two, that quest makes progress and we gain other characters along the way. But then they reach a point in the middle to where the events take them to a place of utter despair. And then in act three, the hero regroups and he faces, he or she faces the trial to victory and find themselves changed and in a new world, much to the audience's satisfaction. All of these genres, um, comedy, Uh, science fiction, action, adventure. They follow this same structure, and we shouldn't try to necessarily present a steady rise or a steady fall kind of script to Hollywood producers because those things are simply not realistic. We would love to have a steady rise, but it's just not real life. Uh, Movie Guide has studied word analysis on scripts, attempting to in some way measure sex, nudity, violence, and vulgarity in scripts But unfortunately, this really only works on vulgarity because of metaphors. Sometimes the language of violence may be used, but it's purely metaphorical, like shot out of the room like a bullet out of a gun. That's not violent. That's a metaphor. Um, Conflict is essential to any successful story, but ultimately audiences want happy endings. And it's not common sense to say that the two most popular emotional arcs are downers, are rise-fall or fall-rise-fall. Great movies – this is a quote – Great movies are stories well told, have a positive worldview, and are spiritually uplifting. The Movie Guide article goes on to define those terms. They say nobody wants to watch Cinderella if it ended with the prince choosing someone else and Ella trapped forever up in the attic. Movie Guide has been analyzing movies for 30 years, comparing box office results to content, and they've revealed that audiences prefer biblical moral values. They prefer little to no foul language, sex, and nudity. Violence is pretty pervasive. In fact, it's everywhere, but gruesome violence distances audiences. That research has changed Hollywood. The Movie Guide research has changed Hollywood, bringing the number of seven of the top ten movies being rated R in 1987 down to only one rated R movie in the top 10 last year, and none this year. There are also four animated movies in the top 10 now, as opposed to in 1987. People want big adventure movies promoting biblical values like courage, honesty, integrity, and freedom. So don't look to the University of Vermont if you want to succeed in Hollywood. Look to Movie Guide. Buy Bear's book. Attend his seminar. Even the best script won't get made if you can't understand the business elements of Hollywood. Okay. Let's start with the end. Okay. I agree. Yes. It's important to know what Hollywood is looking for. True. And to recognize that by and large, you know, uh, studios, they're fairly conservative, not politically, but they're conservatives as far as they don't necessarily want to take risks. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you are trying to sell a script that is going to go out to a major audience, having a huge downer ending probably is not, the way to go. Uh, The the studio will probably want you to change that. So going in, knowing that I think is, you know, if this is, if, if this were an article that were purely about selling your script, which admittedly some of it is, 
um, if it were purely about that or, hey, give give audiences what they want, um, give the studios what they want, like, here's how you succeed. Right. If it were only about that, then I don't think we'd be, be doing an episode about it. Right. But it does make a number of assertions as far as just, I mean, at one point it says like, you know, great movies have this and this and this. It has a right. positive mm-hmm. worldview and all these kind of things. And it's just like, there, there are thousands of great movies that don't have any of that. Right. You know, like that is very much, you know, that is where Movie Guide, I think, oversteps. Hmm. And it makes it, it, it speaks as though this is just how it is. Yeah. You can't have a great movie unless it has an upbeat worldview, unless it has a, a happy ending, because this is what audiences want. Now, I will, uh, audiences do want that. Or at least they want a happy ending hmm. um, or at least a positive ending. Like that is I, by and large, that's what they want. But at the same time, plenty of movies that audiences love. Yeah. Have a, a downbeat ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say the Godfather has a pretty downbeat ending. Yes. Don't get me wrong. The Corleones have come out ahead. <laughs> so I guess we win. But even that's not the last beat. Mm-hmm. The last beat is about as downbeat as you get, mm-hmm. um, considering where Michael started. Yeah. You know, I would say um, the same thing. I apologize for interrupting you, but fine. I would say the same thing about um, a more recent and significantly popular movie, The Dark Knight, ends on a nuanced note of tragedy and triumph. Yes. Uh, that did occur to me because we do see what happened to Harvey Dent, mm-hmm. and it ends with like, Wow, Batman sure is self-sacrificing. That's great. But you have to recognize, oh, right, he sacrificed something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's lost the woman he loves. Yes. He's lost an ally in Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. And he's on the run. He is alone. Completely. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't even, and even the people that do believe in him, that are on board with him, have to distance themselves from him, as, as Gordon mentions. Yes. And so, and it's this idea that in his own way, the Joker has won. Mm-hmm. You know, now he didn't win the thing with the two, with the, the two, uh, fairies and that could, that could, the two boats that could blow up. Right. He right. didn't win that, but in the end he won, you know, he did get a win and it was a significant win, mm-hmm. significant enough that, you know, people felt the need, good people felt the need to cover it up. Yes. Um, I would say that another movie that people that I recently rewatched that people do like is the movie seven. That has yeah. a remarkably downbeat ending. Yes, that's um, a completely tragic. I would co- I would consider seven an outright tragedy. Yeah, that's a, that's a steady fall. I'd yeah, say easily. Yeah. Um, now, but here's and here's where other things come into play. Godfather's rated R. Yes. Seven is a hard R. Yeah, intense. Dark Knight is is PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, but. It is it is dark, mm-hmm. not merely because of the title, but like it is a darker movie. It is sometimes very disturbing. I do find myself wondering what the people at Movie Guide would think of the the nature of the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting, you yeah. know, he's kind of a grimy looking guy with a philosophy that you know, as we've discussed on this show, is indi- you know is indicative of his actions, you know, mm-hmm. um, or rather his his actions are indicative of his philosophy, which is I think a, a 
a nihilistic philosophy and Nietzschean philosophy. Um, so maybe they would, they would like that, that, Oh, this villain is seen as being particularly atheistic in some ways. Yeah. Um, so they might like that, or they might think the, the scene where he shoves a pencil into a guy's head, uh, is, uh, too disturbing. Who's to say, yeah. but you know, these, so maybe an argument could be made that movies that deal in darkness will lead to a downer ending, or if you want to have a downer ending, you're going to have to plant those seeds early on uh, throughout the film. Um, so maybe it's that, but that's the thing. These are, these are movies that people like. I mean, an argument could be made in its own way. The Casablanca has something of a downer ending. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. now, I mean, it's, it's, it's inspiring in its own way, mm-hmm. but Rick does not get the girl. And in some yeah. way, like Rick and Elsa, like we're kind of rooting for them. Mm-hmm. But then when you realize that Elsa is with, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name. It's Paul, it's Paul Henry. Yes. But I know. I'm forgetting his name. Laszlo. Uh, Victor Laszlo. Laszlo. Victor Laszlo. Um, yeah. the fact that she's with Laszlo means that, oh, this is a love triangle and nobody's the jerk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm on board with all of them. Everybody's which means, somewhat noble. Yeah. Which means this can't end well. Mm-hmm. Someone is going to get hurt. Yeah. And indeed Rick hurt, uh, gets hurt. He does it on purpose. He's willing to let himself get hurt. Right. right. Um, but Casablanca is considered by some the second best movie of all time and by others the best movie of all time. I wish I could remember the book. You know what? I might uh, I might go back and discover that it was a publication of Movie Guide because I read a book uh, when I was uh, in my early teens, 13, 14. Um, there was a book that rated the quality of certain movies, but it was from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. and it was about – uh, this kind of thing, looking at the worldview presented in the films and looking at what, you know, the qualities of this film were. The reason it stands out to me is because I watched Casablanca for the very first time, Casablanca, Casablanca. I watched it for the very first time because the summary of that, of this particular catalog, which looked like any Leonard Malton sure. movie guide sort of thing. But um, it said, what does this film contain? And it said the word greatness. And 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 so and so it 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 was showering so yeah. much praise on Casablanca that I was sitting there like wow this yeah. this movie must be just phenomenal you know I I was thirteen fourteen years old I was like I really have it and admittedly I watched the film I loved it I loved yeah. it from the first time I saw it but I remember taking note that this was a this was a a Christian publication yeah. that was evaluating the quality of of certain films and they said that Casablanca had greatness in it and that it was mm-hmm. that it should be viewed by everyone that it was a magnificent film a masterpiece and you and i are sitting here talking about how the ending is nuanced with a bit of tragedy and you know when you think of of modern movies that i'd say by and large the christian community has has given the stamp of approval even a movie like braveheart which is tremendously mm-hmm. violent and it is definitely rated r um but that is one that you know whether you're john eldridge or any number of people that i actually personally know um they find that to be remarkably uh, uh, inspiring that film yes uh well that also has kind of a downbeat ending yes mm-hmm. it's inspiring it's it it, it goes back to this idea of the dark night there. It's self-sacrificing. Yes. Is that good or is that bad? Is that upbeat or is that downbeat? You know? And so even just in, in the way movie guide is talking about this stuff, it is, they're not being nuanced enough. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. what would they define as 
a po- you know a positive ending or or a, or a happy ending. Now I'll look at this and and they do give a couple of examples here and there. They say the idea that the two most popular emotional arcs end on a downer goes against common sense. Do you want Captain America to lose at the end of each movie? Do you want romance movies to end in divorce? Should Dory learn her parents are dead and she'll never find them? Okay, so they just they just talked about three they gave three examples. Yeah. Two very specific, one uh, general genre example. Um and okay, so let's 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 talk about that. Yes. Um if I'm going to a Captain America movie, I'm not necessarily going into that movie expecting a lot of, a lot of nuance. You right. know, I, maybe a little bit here and there, but I just sort of assume that Captain America is going to do all right at the end. Yeah, in some way. You know, and and they made reference to finding Dory there, um, and let's by extension say finding Nemo. We assume that uh, Nemo is going to be found and everything's going to be fine. Sure. Um, you know, and that's a function of the genre, you know, and so much. And they also go into detail, as you as you mentioned, talking about the three act structure, you know, yeah. the hero's journey. And I would say that if you are making a genre film. Stick with that three act structure. It's yeah. very effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of your favorite jo- uh, fantasy film. It's probably Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, both of which ver- work very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um with uh with the three act structure but that's you know there's a not every type of screenplay is is a genre um and you know again this goes back to like what is the point of this article is it about the business of hollywood if it's about the business of hollywood then uh by all means write a genre script it'll get people's eyes you know um but if this is about just whatever script you want to Right. Whatever story you want to tell, it could be like a, a kitchen sink drama or a middle earth, uh, romance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if they're, if this is more of an artistic article than a bu- than a business article, I think they are way off. And I think that they are going, they are steering people, writers in the wrong direction. I agree. The three examples that came to mind, three films, uh, two of which I love and one I really like, uh, that in no way follow the structure advised by Movie Guide. Again, you're talking about the difference between if you want to write a script that is going to make it at the top of a Hollywood stack and get sold, absolutely. And genre film, you know, stick with that three-act three act structure. But uh, Pulp Fiction? Mm-hmm. Does not follow a three act structure. Yeah, uh, Christopher Nolan. We were talking about the Dark Knight. Memento, his one of his early films. That yeah. in, that really does not follow a three act structure. Um, but another film that I uh, couldn't possibly love more um, is My Dinner with Andre, which mm. follows. I mean, it's essentially a one act structure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, it is exactly what the title says. It's going to get you're you're going to have uh, an hour and a half dinner conversation, and yeah. it's inspiring and thought provoking and challenging and beautiful and many 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 other things. And everybody should see that movie. But I love it. Uh, at some point, we're going to do an episode about it. Oh, I love that movie so much. Um, and it, I think that you hit the nail on the head that if your goal is financial success and uh you want to succeed in a genre then yeah there's genre there's genre conventions that you at least have to i I don't know who said this might have been sid field it could be any number of 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 hollywood icons but um 
you have to know the rules before you can break them. Right. So you definitely need to acquaint yourself very well with the structural tropes and with these structural yeah. guidelines so that if you want to do something a bit out of the norm, you can know exactly what you're doing and what yeah. territory you're skirting. Yeah, it's important to know what you're subverting before you subvert it. Yes. Um, you know, this is a this is a thing that uh, that Josh and I have said in the past and something that, you know, I, I kind of said a moment ago, which is, you know, while not all of, you know, while very few of my favorite films fall into a conventional three-act structure, it is very, very, very useful. Oh, yeah. um, and I would say, don't abandon it lightly. So in that regard, yeah, Movie Guide, again, they're talking about story structure. Good for them. I'm happy about that. Right. But I feel like if I were if I were reading this article, thinking about it purely artistically, either as a writer or as a viewer... I feel like, you know, the, this article is putting out some litmus tests that I think are very uh, mis-movie-guided. Mis huh? mm -hmm. um, I see what you did there. Yeah, pretty clever. <laughs> anyway, um, because if you're, if you're somebody who genuinely says like, okay, well, according to this article, great movies have a positive, you know, worldview and a happy ending, and then you go see... I don't know what bone tomahawk. <laughs> oh <know>? my! <laughs> Stay tuned for uh, Halloween times. <laughs> you know, you go see bone tomahawk. You're going to be really disappointed. If yeah. you go see Brooklyn, mm. you're going to be like, Hey, this is one of the best movies. And Brooklyn was my favorite movie of last year. I loved Brooklyn narrowly beating out bone tomahawk, <laughs> you know, very different films, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, a movie like Steve Jobs, which is definitely very stagey in many ways. It's mm -hmm. definite three. It's three acts, but it's not a three act structure. It's three acts right. like a play is. Yeah. Um, you know that you would look at that and be like, this is this makes me uncomfortable. Like, mm -hmm. you know the 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 movies and the screenplays that that they appear to be talking about in this article, they're not going to engage with. They might engage with some some negative emotions like anger or sadness or depression or hopelessness or whatever, you know, as, as, as characters in a bad situation, you're just like, Oh man, I feel bad because they're in this situation, but it will always be paired with, don't worry, it'll be fine. Right. And you know, that's, a, there's a, I'm not a huge Louis CK fan anymore. He used to be like my favorite comedian, but, uh, I think he's a little bit pleased with himself from time to time. I think he pontificates a little bit more often than mm -hmm. he uh, says funny stuff. But you know what? Sometimes he's very correct in his uh, pontification. And he was talking about this idea that he was a he was feeling very sad one day for no particular reason. And his first instinct was to like look at his phone and play a game or something like that. <laughs> and he thought, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to let myself feel sad. <laughs> I'm not going to distract myself from it. And so he just sat with his sad feeling to the point that I think he said he even cried. Hmm. And then once the sad feeling was over, he felt a certain degree of relief and he felt a certain degree of, of, of happiness. I think he even said that it, there was almost an ethereal quality to what he felt afterwards. Hmm. Now, admittedly, I, the, way he, the way he talked about it and the way I'm talking about it is very different um, because I'm not saying that you should embrace like these negative feelings so that a good feeling will come out of it. A good feeling might not come out of it any more than in a movie, you know, uh, if characters are in a bad situation, we should 
expect them to come out of it in a good place. Right. Um, right. But what I mean to say is that, uh, and what Louis C.K. is getting to is that, yeah, feeling some of these negative things is part of the human experience, and art is about reflecting the human experience and trying to get us, trying to change, not change our perspective, but to engage our perspective on that. Right. And to affect us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all about, like, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. You know, this right. is not, to, if you'll pardon me, this is not a prosperity gospel situation where everything's right. going to go just your way. Right. Um, you know, and that's why I think movies that have a, a, a sad ending a negative ending, why people keep coming back to them over and over again, like The Godfather, because they recognize there's something more to this world than simple happiness. Mm-hmm. That they're, you know, I would say, and this is going to get a little lofty, rather than strive for a happy ending, perhaps you could strive for a true ending. Um, yes. Because The Godfather is true. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a true story, but the emotional beats are very true. Yes. You know, Michael Corleone, an argument could be made that he, no matter how much he wanted to get away from what his family did, was never going to get away. That he and, and his family were, you know, damned from the start because of what their father right. chose to do. Right. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, you could make that argument or you could make the argument that, like, he should have walked away and that is unf- and that meant turning his, you know, turning his back on his family. But look what he became by not. Right. You know, right. there's a there are deeper things going on here because of how it ends. Well, and I would even go so far as to say I would challenge. So one of the things that stuck out to me about movie guides article and their thesis is that, um, they say people want a movie that reflects, uh, biblical values. They like a movie that reflects biblical values. Mm-hmm. So something that I have talked about uh, a few times, although I don't think I've ever said it uh, in my time on this show. Uh, so I love uh, Frank Darabont's work. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's minimal. Um, he's majestic. Only made... Do you like the majestic? I like the majestic. Ah. Come on, man, give me a break. It's his love letter to Frank Capra. I he know, doesn't but do it as well. But of course not. Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, fair the, enough. The majestic is too long. It's far too long. But yes. it's it's got a spirit about it that I that I that endears itself to yeah. me. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so Frank Darabont has this limited amount of work. But I love taking the Shawshank Redemption and the Mist. Yeah, and looking at the fact. If you've seen those two films, those two films are saying almost exactly the same thing, which is never give up hope. Mm-hmm. But they are saying them in dramatically different ways. Yeah. So if you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, you know that it has, you know, sometimes uh, it's now recently being, you know, somewhat criticized for, you know, having one of the most, you know, satisfying and neat endings of, of, of any film, um, that everything seems to work out well because this character didn't give up hope and, and fought through a lot of things to, I would say he earned, I would say the film earns that ending. I, yeah, I, I felt that way too. Um, so that's one way to say that a character never gives up hope because you can say it by showing a character who never gives hope and never gives up hope and triumphs in the end. Yeah. The mist uh, spoiler alert for the end of the mist. <laughs> we did an episode about it. I have to assume everybody heard it. There you go. Point. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So the mist of course ends with a character. I'll say giving giving up at the exact wrong moment. In yeah. fact, giving up about 10 minutes too early. 
that if they had just waited another 10 to 15 minutes, yeah. they would not have lost everything. Yeah. And it's because they gave up hope just at the wrong time, and we see the tragedy of that. My point in using those two films as an example is by saying that the, the presumption that in order to express a biblical value, your ending must be up, that it must right. be positive, that it must be happy, I think, and I'm going to say this as respectfully and tastefully as I possibly can, I think that is ignoring a decent third to two-thirds of the Bible. Yeah. To say that in order to illustrate a biblical point, you have to have a happy ending. Um, clearly, there are – the life of David covers like four different books of the Bible. Yeah. And in them, there are maybe three triumphant stories. Maybe three. Yeah. David's life is riddled with tragedy. And it is – and not just at his – Choices. He makes some bad choices, but also things happen to him that are beyond his control that are terribly tragic. And the, the story of Saul, the yeah. entire arc of Saul is a terribly tragic story. Um, but there are a lot of very true things. I mean, obviously, I believe the entire Bible to be yeah. true. So there are obviously a lot of very true things that yeah. are told through downer stories. Well, and in the writing of it, you could have been like, we want to inspire people with, with King David. So let's leave that part out. Right. You know, right. they could have done that just as they could have left out. Uh, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at uh, and if you want to look at storytelling, not all of Jesus parables turn out great. No. You know, mm -hmm. some of them do. Some of them turn out. Uh, oh, the the father is running to the prodigal son. Right. And then the other right. is you didn't use your talent well enough. Get out of here. Yeah. Well, you know? I thought about the, the, the parable of the virgins preparing for, for the bride, the yeah. wedding day. Uh, some of them make it in. Some of them don't. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the story ends with some of those people irreparably lost, yeah. which is haunting to think about. Um, there, are, I thought a lot about Jesus's parables in thinking about a response to this movie guide article, because not only, uh, do the parables not always end in a nice, neat sort of bow, but they frequently are mere moments in time. Yeah. So, they're, so they're not – and again, we're talking about the parables of Jesus versus uh, – I don't want to pretend that Movie Guide is trying to say that all stories should be this way. Movie Guide's article is talking specifically about screenplays. Um, but Jesus' stories are meant to illustrate you know, a moment in time. A, a, a pocket of this is what happens. In fact, yeah. most of his stories start with this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the stories that really resonate with us in the strongest ways and the most often are the stories that do call out to something, whether it be eternal or natural or human, that call out to something that says, this is what this is like. Yeah. Um, positive, negative, ambivalent, confusing, frustrating. This is what this is like. Yeah. And illustrates that as effectively and as believably as it possibly can. Those are the stories that really, I think, resonate with us. And I was looking over my top 10, just my personal top 10. Yeah. And of those seven films in, in my top 10, my personal top 10, could be considered to have downer endings, or some, or, or the the ending may be triumphant to a point, but it has, as we've talked about with Casablanca and a couple of other things, that it has a note of sadness yeah. in its triumph. Star Trek: Wrath of Khan is one of my favorite films. 
they defeat the enemy, but at tremendous cost. Yeah. And uh, so my point just being my particular personal preferences tend to validate what the University of Vermont found more than it tends to validate what Movie Guide is saying is characteristic. And I will end, uh, I'll end the episode with this because at the end of the article, it actually moves, it kind of pivots to this, it, this odd place where it talks about, you know, the, the Movie Guide uh, awards and then uh, Ted Bear's uh, report to the entertainment industry and that sort of thing. And that after that started, Hollywood seemed to take note. Now I will and and change the types of movies that they are putting out. Now I'm going to put aside my uh, my incredulity at the idea that Hollywood is paying this much attention to publications like Movie Guide. Right. Um, and I will say, and you know what? I will take him at his word. I will say that there was a change. You know, let's look at the at like the top ten. The top 10, as I like to say, of the last few years. And let's compare them to the top 10 of like pre-1987 or just or at least the the before the uh, 1990. Um, and this is something that we've commented about on, in the minisodes as we go back. Um, you know, uh, oddly enough, in 1987, the, the number one movie of the year as far as box office was Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. The next year was Rain Man, mm-hmm. an R-rated movie. For adults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a grown-up movie. Very much. Number one at the box office. Um, you know, looking at... Uh, and, you know, if you actually look into the 80s, you get a lot of... Number one tends to be PG, PG-13. You've got E.T., Return of the Jedi, Beverly Hills Cop is rated R. Back to the Future, Top Gun. Mm-hmm. You know, 89 is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. How it wasn't Batman is astonishing to me. Um, wow, but then if yeah. you want to look at some of the other like top tens, you've got in 85, you got the color purple out of Africa, witness cocoon. Uh, in 86, you've got platoon is I think number three. Uh, in 89, you've got dead poet society. You know, these are movies for grownups, right? There's also Batman. There's little mermaid. There's star Trek and, and that sort of thing. Um, so it was a nice blend. Now, what are some of the things that started to change? Well, special effects. Right. Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Terminator 2. Uh, Independence Day. Yep. You know, spectacle. All in that 92 to 94 range. Yeah. yeah. Like really started to, to you know, every, every year was a new breakthrough. Right. And people wanted to see that. And it, it worked really well with the summer movies. And so suddenly... That's, I'd say you can put, and these are summer movies. We want students to see them so mm-hmm. they can't be rated R. So special effects and the, and the rise of the summer movie, not that it was necessarily a rise then, but you know, summer movie season is, is, a, has been a monster for 20 years. Right. Um, right. and so that's the thing. So wh- what movies are we talking about? We're talking about, as I said, Rain Man, Platoon, stuff like that. Now. According to, if you'll, if you'll indulge me, this is where I'm, I'm, I might get a little bit smug or at least snarky. According to movie guide, it looks at the top 10, uh, uh, it looks at the top 10 box office movies of the last few years as a positive. Right. Right. Um, well, let's take a look at what those are. 2013. Number one was frozen. 
an original story. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Iron Man 3, Despicable Me 2, The Hobbit 2, basically, Hunger Games 2, Fast and Furious 6, Monsters University, which is a prequel, Gravity, original story, Man of Steel, Thor 2. That's 2013. 2014, Transformers, I think four. I lost track. They, they didn't use numbers. And a lot of these don't use actual numbers, but I'm, I'm summarizing. Transformers 4, Hobbit 3, Guardians of the Galaxy, Maleficent, Hunger Games 3, X-Men Days of Future Past, Captain America 2, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, that's the second one, Spider-Man 2, and Interstellar. Hmm. So there's a couple, a couple originals there. 2015, basically Star Wars 7, Jurassic World, Furious 7, Avengers 2, Minions, which is itself a sequel, Spectre, James Bond movie, Inside Out, original, Mission Impossible 5, Hunger Games 3.2, and The Martian. Yeah, two original films in that. Yeah. This year, you've got Captain America 3, Zootopia, The Jungle Book remake, Finding Dory sequel, Batman vs. Superman, Deadpool, The Secret Life of Pets. That's original. I'm being facetious. It's not based on anything, but let's not kid ourselves. Uh, The Mermaid, which is a Chinese film by Stephen Chow. Um, X-Men Apocalypse, Kung Fu Panda 3. So... If we embrace the simplification of story, either for business or artistic reasons, mm-hmm. this is what our top. This is what the top ten looks like. Hey, Deadpool's rated R, and of of the movies that I just listed, like there's no. That's like the only rated R movie there. So hey, good for us. It's nothing but franchises, nothing but remakes, nothing but sequels. And I'm somebody who I enjoy franchises, I enjoy sequels. But let's not, you know, as as we're championing the 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 victory of one thing, maybe we can lament the loss of something else right, uh, over right. the years. Um, and I think that's what gets me about this article and about just I'd say the general attitude of Movie Guide in, uh, uh, over the years, uh, and just in the things that I've read is that. It's sort of this idea of like failing to see the woods for the trees. They see that like, oh, this has a positive outlook or, oh, this doesn't have any swearing in it. It must be great. Never. Uh, okay, that's great. There are eight movies in this. Do you yeah. think there's going to be any originality? Right. And if you're a screenwriter, like let's, let's, let's put this towards a uh, business, knowing Hollywood. Uh, write a sequel. <laughs> oh, wait, it's probably going to be hard to break in writing a sequel. Right. And even then, if you do write a sequel, my guess is that... The formula is set in stone. You're not going to be able to do anything that's artistically satisfying for you. Right. It's not going to be anything that's, it's, it likely won't be anything that's challenging for an audience. And this whole thing is just going to be a mess, you know, and, and ultimately pointless. Yeah. And so the, when I, when I look at the stuff that the article is advocating for on an artistic level, and I think at this point, even on a Hollywood business industry level, I can't get on board with, with the stuff that they're saying. Yeah. Um, cause I think ultimately it leads to bland formulaic generic movies mm-hmm. that while still fun, I saw a lot of these, I enjoy them. Sure. sure. Um, but they're not the movies that, that engage me the most as yeah. a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, so something to think about. Be sure to check out these uh, these uh, two articles, the the Vermont study and then Movie Guide's response, and feel free to weigh in yourself. Uh, and I think we will leave it there. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can uh, find me on Facebook, and uh, you can like the show. You can find me on 
uh, Twitter at more lessons. You can email me Tyler more than one lesson.com. If you have any comments, uh, otherwise, uh, once again, thanks for listening. Reed, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And we'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>